Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, hey, another great show dealing with metaphysics, spirituality, various elements, we'll say, uh, tonight particularly, of how religions have developed. And I thought it would be appropriate. I think uh, the holidays as they are might be the time to do this. And uh, the tonight show is going to be Faith-Based Religions and God. <laughs> okay. So what does that mean? What is faith and what is a religion based upon it, and how does that relate to God? Well, to begin with, when I use the word faith, I'm talking about something much more scientific than most people may realize. Uh, so let me try to define that. Uh, for those of you who have not heard the show before, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but then again, you know, uh, you will probably catch up by the time I'm done explaining it. So, uh, if we look at how human beings are different from uh, the lower kingdoms, and especially animals, we, human beings, have a heart and a crown chakra, which is like a sensing center, that um, has a spirit sphere or consciousness sphere uh, that is connected to it. So we're conscious of what we are aware of. Awareness comes from sense, but we're also conscious of the very things that we're aware of. And those two centers, the heart and crown chakras, unlike in animals, we have consciousness in them. We have an understanding of what the awareness of those centers is. Now, what is the awareness of those two centers? The awareness of those two centers is, uh, we'll call it, uh, how... God expresses itself in the domain that the centers exist in. So, like if we're talking about a physical body in the physical world, then it's how those centers in the physical realm sense uh, parts of God that are being expressed. So, we're, you know, like I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say you are in a place that is uh, sensing uh, a high level of, um, we'll call it, uh, organized interactions of things, and those are going in a way that produces some elements of cooperation and sharing, and maybe all the way up to beauty. Uh, and in sensing that, uh, you gain a sense of God. Now, the interesting thing is that a lot of animals can actually sense that part of it, because they have a heart or crown chakra. But what they can't be uh, aware of, or we'll say conscious of, is what that means. So, in other words, they can feel beauty, they can feel or sense, that we'll use the word sense, because feeling is a kind of sense, but in a different body. They can sense the cooperation and sharing, they can sense that there is love, they can sense that there is some kind of, um, we'll call it the making sense of thought of things, if they can think that level. And uh, they can even sense beauty, some. But the point is that they don't understand what that is. Humans, on the other hand, do. We not only sense that the world has cooperation and sharing and that there's this kind of synthesis of an organization around us that we, we appreciate in the physical world, or love, or structured thinking and concepts that lead to truth. We can sense all that. But we also, because we have consciousness in those centers, and animals don't, 
we can understand that this is coming from a higher source than ourselves or any other part of what we'll call nature. So that is the difference, and it's a big difference. It's a huge difference. We can understand God in the heart chakra, and we can understand how God is creative and even how we can co-create with it, which means how we can become enlightened and virtuous the way God is, using our crown chakra. That's the amazing differences. Now you can say, well, how does that have to do with faith? Well, it's a very interesting thing because it's the very foundation of where faith comes from. You may not be aware of this, but there's no proof that any animal has ever shown the slightest iota of faith. You may not be aware of that, but there's several sources that have stated that. Uh, And what does that mean? That means animals don't have what faith is and what is faith. Faith is the combination of the awareness with the spirit sphere or consciousness active in a center, giving us, and in one of these two centers, the heart and crown chakra, giving us an understanding of God. Faith comes from having an understanding of our awareness of God. Wow. That's pretty amazing. And because we have that, we naturally seek God because we have faith in its existence. We don't have an understanding that's based upon other factors, which I'm going to discuss tonight, that are a uh, an adjunct, meaning that they support and help faith. So we could have faith, but we don't end without these other things. But if you put the, put the other things in with faith, it produces a much stronger both faith and level of both understanding and co-creation with God. Okay? Now, I hope you're following me, because this is the real foundation of what tonight's show is about. It's not about sitting around and saying, oh, gee, I know I feel faith in God. It's something more than a feeling, because feeling is part of the astral sense of God, but not necessarily the understanding of God. So if you feel that God exists, you may not have real faith. If you feel and understand, or feel and want to co-create, or both, hopefully, with God, well, that's a whole other thing. Then you do have faith. Now, what does it mean to co-create? Because a lot of people might not understand that. It means that you convert the uh, the element of the first part of God's mind, which is co- which is to create, into uh, in the physical world, interacting with other people in, uh, we'll say, intelligent ways. Huh. And those ways lead to cooperation and sharing. Well, that makes sense. That's the first of the bodies that we use to do that. Then we sometimes use our astral body. And we're using the first or crown chakra with the spirit sphere actually turning, or we'll call it active. And when it is, then we have not just understanding of God, but now we have the co-creation with God, only the intelligent interaction with others through love or giving us. Oh, that makes sense. And finally, you get to the mental way of expressing it, in which instead of the last two, they could be added to it, of course, uh, you end up with uh, intelligent interaction through 
uh, creating uh, forms of thought and concepts that support truth. Well, so if you do all those things, you literally are co-creating with God in the dimensions of time and space that humans live in. Does that make sense? I hope so. So, when we talk about faith-based, I'm using the word faith as I'm defining to you now, although the religions that use the same phrase may not be able to or decide not to use the definitions that I've just given to you. Some of the factors are they don't understand it necessarily in the same way, and sometimes they may even reject it for various uh, reasons, which we'll talk about tonight. Now, the important element of this is that humans don't just aren't just born this way. They also develop more of it as they grow from one sub-race of kind of human to another, until eventually you develop a whole race of humans, and then another race, and finally the one we're in. And each race of humans has, uh, at least in the physical form, has has developed a way of improving upon the kind of faith that they have in God. Because if you use just the two lowest uh, of the uh, spiritual chakras, is what they're called, the crown, uh, heart and crown chakras, the two lowest being the physical ones, the etheric physical, those chakras are uh, limited to only activity within the physical world, uh, dependent upon the awareness of those senses about physical things and not about astral, which would be love sort of stuff, or mental, which would be truth. So it's confined to that. And the earliest uh, people basically lived their lives mostly having faith in only that one way. They got pretty good at it, uh, during the sixth sub-race of that particular race of people. It's called the Lemurians. And they uh, they actually did some remarkable development. They started to join the two senses, the physical senses together, and then they did so well with that. They actually went a little ahead of themselves, more, capable, more than they were almost capable of, and... Um, because they were the sixth sub-race, they corresponded so well with the astral world, they were able to do a, a bit of fusion with the spiritual centers in the astral body. Wow. That really boosted their faith in God. Tremendously. And it, uh, it spawned or sparked the very first, a very strongly believed in religion about God um, in this sixth sub-race. And most of the religions before that time were formed more on a, a you know a polygon, a lot of different gods, and uh, it wasn't a monotheism; it was polytheism. But in addition, uh, the main point of it is it didn't involve the concept that human beings are here to co-create with God, here to become indeed as well as in thought. Uh, a part of their creator, uh, not to replace their creator, by the way, and not to say that they could ever become the same exactly as a human being, as their creator. They have to go, would have to grow way behind what a human is to, to do that. Uh, some some religions might say something other than that, by the way, that humans could actually supersede God or become God as God is. 
Uh, human beings are capable of doing that because we don't live in the dimensionality of God existence. But nonetheless, we can share a bit of it, a small piece of God. Now, uh, this sixth sub-race of Lemurians did a fine job. They actually were more successful than you might expect. They did not, nor did the seventh sub-race of Lemurians, unify the five lower senses of awareness, which is very important because in order for all these senses to become fully spiritualized, fully enlightened, in other words, you have to join all seven of them together in an equal and balanced way called a fusion. And they only created a fusion of sorts between the two centers in the um, in the etheric physical body and a minor fusion, a minor minor fusion, not full, between the uh, physical and the astral body. So they didn't come really that far along compared to where we might be, but they did a pretty good job. Now, the only problem was because they kind of opened the door, but they didn't really get all the way through it uh, as far as fusion to the astral body. Uh, unfortunately, the seventh subrace kind of did the reverse. They almost undid what the six did, and their faith dropped dramatically because they stopped using the two centers together, and the result was they became very dark. Even uh, Some of them became evil for the first time in humanity. So that was an unfortunate happen chance uh, that uh, took place because uh, there was some interference uh, from beings from other worlds to some extent who thought that this would be a good time to start um, start getting people more interested away from, believe it or not, away from just a faith-based religion into a religion based upon angels' wisdom in more monastic or mental ways of thinking. There's nothing wrong with that, except that you have to keep the faith-based level up to approximately the same level that your knowledge-based level is. And if you don't do that, which they didn't, the result is that uh, evil can move in and use the knowledge that may be given for very bad things while the faith-based part is declining in a uh, serious uh, amount so that there is a loss of overall understanding of God. Okay, so that's a very interesting uh, uh, you know, part of history. And in looking at it from a today's standards in terms of religions, and even some historical ones that we're familiar with, of course there's prehistory that we're not familiar with during the Atlantean times, etc. But if we look at it from just what's historically understood, Religions have tended to develop their faith-based nature in a less-than-balanced way. Some of them are very strongly towards the heart chakra of understanding that. Others have more to do with works and, and, and interactions with others, which is the crown chakra part, and uh, being creative. The ones that are very understanding or loving, such as Christianity, have battled against having too much of the interactive part, and they've also become negative towards the Gnostic part, or knowledge part, that was the part that took down uh, religion, uh, faith-based religions during the Lemurian times. 
Now, some of that's because historically it was believed that that was a bad thing, although some of it, if it were balanced, would not be bad. So it's okay to have knowledge provided it's balanced by both faith and service, spiritual service or good deeds or good works. And uh, that's the problem, that religions have not understood that by and large. And so they haven't understood even what I've just taught you in the last 17 minutes of the show, uh, by and large. So you have uh, that lack of understanding coming from the very top down of most religions in historical times, uh, causing the religion to become uh, the antithesis of what it should have been, which is, if it's faith-based, at least represent what God is. Instead, it moved away from representing what God is and became based, in some cases, on very dark kinds of beliefs and behaviors and outrageous kinds of treatments of people. So this is the problem because uh, the, the just having the most fundamental basic understandings from Angel's Wisdom, which is what I teach about, would have saved incredible levels of destruction and suffering in humanity and the, rest of the whole world and uh, would have changed the history of the world. Unfortunately, though, that, that isn't what happened. What happened is the majority, or almost all, of the faith-based religions have gone in an imbalanced way down this road and produced um, levels of grave, grave dis- levels of destruction and uh, horrible results right up to the present day. Most of what we call um, fanatical, you know, whatever, if it's Islam or whatever, uh, is based in part, if not a large part, on these concepts that I am speaking about today. If we all understood better that there are corrections for it and solutions for it, which I will talk about today, uh, but unfortunately, um, few people do understand, and that's, I guess, why I'm teaching it, because uh, this needs to get out there, to say the least. It probably is only a few millennia uh, too late for saving a multitude of people suffering and lives. You know, even as I sit here, people are, uh, in a tremendous way, concerned about the evil of terrorism caused by religious fanaticism, which is caused by an imbalance in faith-based religion. Okay, so, (laughs) let me begin with some of the ideas that we need to foster if we're going to try to do something about this. Now, I'll give you a litany of them. The first that I can think of is to try to mitigate some of faith-based aspects of religions with both knowledge and, most importantly, spiritual understandings different from faith. A spiritual understanding of God is an understanding of God in its multidimensionality, uh, recognizing the multidimensionality of, of the universe, and uh, kind of having a cosmological as well as ontological joining that allows a person to gain a much clearer understanding of what God is. Some of the elements that are missing that lead to fanaticism are the following. 
uh, human beings are free to choose to become and create who they are as all life is allowed to do that because the Creator wants it that way. The Creator does not predetermine existence, but it makes laws, and those laws are based upon its own mind. And within the mind that has three major fields in it, each field controls huge elements of what we would consider to be reality, and those elements uh, cannot be um, changed by something in a lower, lesser field. And it includes human beings. So we are free. We're free within our own field to do what we want to do. But if we want to change other life fields, including ones greater than our own, uh, we can't because uh, they they are too great for us to have an effect on. The reverse is obviously the case. The greater field can have a huge effect on who we are. So it is an important lesson, we'll say, to realize that uh, we are given freedom of choice, but only that those choices that we can be creative of on our own within the field that we exist in. Outside, beyond that, we don't have choices because things greater than we are uh, make them for us. God, therefore, is a being of amazing creation that leaves all life free within its own field to make its own choices. But that same life cannot necessarily change God, nor things greater than itself, either. It's a very, very fine point. And when you put it in that context, most religions don't, do not accept or recognize that concept. What else do they not recognize? They don't recognize that we are here to co-create with God. Most religions think we are here to um, to listen to God, to do what is God's word or bidding or whatever, to live at the within the laws of God. Those laws usually have to do with individual as well as group behaviors on a local interactive form, which goes against the principles I earlier said. So they are probably wrong. In other words, the principle is that within our field, we're free to do what we want. God doesn't say, well, you can't do this or that because it's against my better judgment. No, we're free to do it. But if we go against the larger field, such as, well, I'll go around doing terrible crimes to others because I can do them, but those crimes are against greater fields of beingness than we are, and the results are that we have uh, a, we'll say, large backlash in terms of time, space, and energy against us that eventually makes it almost impossible, if not impossible, for us to continue to do that after a certain point. And there is a thing called karma that uh, causes those, that to take place. So when we are looking at what you would say is the problems of religion, they, these are the biggies. These these actually uh, are inclusive of the elements that probably have made it very difficult for people to sometimes even become religious because the, the faith-based nature is has within it errors. Okay, so then what are some of the other things that we need to address, especially to this evening? Uh, in in uh, uh, a great many religions, it is uh, assumed 
while there may be a monotheistic element, they, have, they believe God is a single being of some sort, uh, there's an assumption that God uh, is not only a being of great love and freedom, but God is also a punisher, and in some circumstances, a uh, we'll say a uh, violent, uh, menacing being. Well, that is a projection of human beings' own feelings onto God, uh, and it is uh, the antithesis of where, in angels' wisdom, God actually is uh, exists. Within its own existence, God doesn't even have those kinds of uh, reactions because those are coming from illusions that humans themselves create. But even more than that concept, the reason God is not like that is because all of those things have uh, the consideration of predetermination. To them. In other words, it would be punished if there wasn't an expectation, even a uh, demand, that you be something other than what you did. And therefore, the demand would either come from the fact that there's predetermination or if you don't follow its determination, there is a huge penalty there. So God is not a punishing God. Uh, rather, God is a God that allows humans to make the kinds of errors that they do make and that they will learn from, and it doesn't necessarily, most of the time, interfere with the results of a human being's uh, terrible uh, behaviors or interactions. It just allows us to experience the results of them. But sometimes it even intervenes and lessens those effects. There's no cases where I'm aware of where it makes those effects worse, which would be a punishing guy. So in reality, it has to do with the concept of predetermination. And if you really let go of the predetermination element and you reject it, then you reject a punishing guy because there'd be no need for God for a God to punish if it isn't, isn't in effect pre-deciding what we're supposed to be doing and then doing something about the fact that we didn't do it. So, okay, so the, the other, uh, some of the other major problems that have led to abuses in faith-based religions is that um, some human beings, be they popes or uh, you know, prophets, or, it doesn't matter, some human beings in any specific religion know better what God needs or wants from the rest of the following, and we should listen to them because their word is like the word of God. Well, that doesn't make any sense either because uh, the first premise is that God uh, permits freedom within our field to do as we choose. So why would a human being be replacing that that God is not? And why would even a group of human beings, let's say you have, a, have such a group, a, a council of, of you know, people say they know how to do things, uh, doing the same thing? It wouldn't be. So those are all kinds of things that are wrong in religions. And um, some religions have gone so far off the path of that sort, with that sort of behavior, they've actually tortured people, they've, they've killed people, they have ruined people. They've done just a lot of bad stuff. 
right? And that sort of thing happens because of evil. So uh, as evil infiltrates a religion, the religion tends more and more towards that kind of, we'll call it a mistake, it's more than a mistake, but uh, where it isn't any longer really faith-based, it's, uh, we'll call it totalitarianism in religion. Now, the other thing that uh, some faith-based religions do is they claim exclusivity with God. Their way of, um, we'll say, uh, being connected to God, praising God, um, you know, praying to God, being with God, is the only way or the only good way of doing it. Well, that's also a further contamination of the same kinds of arguments I've already brought up that were wrong, bringing it to an even higher level of, of absurdity, of course. But it is common. So in other words, it isn't like, well, we just have a couple of those to worry about. Yeah, you pretty much got most of the religions are like that to worry about. Our way is the way, and the other way, there's something wrong with them. Some of them tolerate other ways better than others, but uh, they don't accept them as uh, usually completely equal to theirs. There's usually a schism in equality. That leads to all kinds of prejudicial belief structures that eventually can become a war or some form of murderous activities. So you can see, in the least, at least ostracization of some people and forcing them to leave the confines of the religion itself. All right, so those are some of the areas that we have to be concerned with this evening when we talk about faith-based religions. And it is a kind of um, almost commonality that this everything I've talked about is everywhere that you go. As I said, there are some religions that are less, in some ways, as I've described them, than others. And, and that's a good thing. But less than isn't the same as, well, they just don't do that. Because I just don't know any religions that don't do any of the things I just talked about. Uh, and so that's where the problem comes in. Now, how did this develop? I mean, it had to come from someplace that uh, people you know, have this kind of propensity because it's so prolific and it's almost everywhere. Well, it, it, it has to do with the fact that especially today, human beings are very egotistical, so they think their way is right. So there's a mental component. But before there was a mental component, there was also an astral. And the astral component is this feeling of their way being the right way, and some of that feeling is based upon the uh, unity of thought of each of the members practicing various kinds of ceremonial and other activities that gives them a a sense or camaraderie of oneness together, which is astral. And so within their astral body and creatively, they, they think and feel the same thing, which is that their way is the right way because it feels right. And because not just to one person it feels right, 
but to all the people that claim to be members of the religion. It feels that way to to them, and so it's self-perpetuating based upon an astral desire and feeling from the interaction with others in the particular faith. Another common problem. Finally, when we get to the, to the physical side of things, uh, there is a huge amount of investment of time and energy, which, when compressed, becomes money, uh, in uh, religions. They, uh, they are the occupation of a number of people, uh, not the hugest number, but a number, and they also uh, provide for, uh, in many cases, a relatively high level of we'll call it wealth, physical wealth. Why is do, do religions provide a high level of wealth? Because one of the ways that rich religions promote you can get the blessings of God, which would increase and show an increase in your faith in God, is to give material things, including money, to the particular religion. Ah. And you see, there's a measure of that. In some cases, there's even a, we'll call it, incentive, such as indulgences, etc., or just of status. And in other cases, it becomes political. So it's more than just status, it becomes status connected to the world of politics and who has power over others. And how power can be wed with politics and policy making, which has so often been done in historical times. And all of this has led to the wealth issue becoming a big factor. So it's um, on the physical side, uh, probably the wealth issue is the most prominent and dominant while we're physically alive. It absolutely causes, we'll say, uh, a faith-based religion to become autocratic and uh, highly politically motivated. And people who get into it oftentimes have those same motives, which is not good, because it isn't much about God. It's about material things. And that, when, when you put it together with the egotism and the lack of truth combined with the feeling of camaraderie that's necessary for people to believe certain things altogether without question, you end up with a lot of, we'll call it, absolutes that are many times forcibly uh, impressed upon those people who are either part of the religion or the religion has some way of reaching to and some authority over. Then it has become a menacing element many times in our world's history. So faith-based religions can become pretty serious problems. I might say, and please do not think I am, that if you or anyone you know uh, is into a faith-based religion and strongly buys into it, that they are supporting some kind of evil, maniacal thing. I'm just talking in general, and historically so, what faith-based religions have turned into and why, giving the concepts of how come this has happened, so that we can discuss how to correct that problem, those problems through the rest of tonight's show. But the things that I am describing 
have a lot of science behind it. So we're going to be talking about how we can change the centers, rebalance them, do certain, certain things that are very esoteric in comparison to the way most religions operate. And in some cases would be considered heretical. In other words, against the teachings of the religion itself to even opine on, much less interact about. So we could be stepping on some toes tonight. I hope not to do that in any serious way or a way that shows some kind of, we'll say, prejudice against any particular religion, because that is not my point. I think all religions have some of the things negatively that I have discussed so far and might further discuss in tonight's show. All of them have some parts of that. That's like, you know, so there's no, like, I'm not saying this religion is better than that one or anything like that. And I'm also not saying that we don't need religions, because we absolutely do. And let me say that before we go to break. The reason we must have religions is that a faith-based religion, uh, when done with the other balances that I described earlier, is stronger than a non-faith-based. Plus, a faith-based religion is needed more, even when it's unbalanced, because it holds people from doing things that are outrageously against God, and it provides some level of virtue creation within a society. So usually it's better than not having it, but it isn't necessarily the panacea because there's all the other things that I mentioned are wrong with a faith-based religion when they aren't balanced. But nonetheless, it's still better than nothing. So if we were going to wipe out all religions, we would end up with many people becoming atheists, and that is not a better solution by any stretch of the imagination. Because atheism is not the disbelief in a religion, it's a disbelief in God. And there is a huge difference between the two. Those people who say there is no God uh, have a much greater propensity for falling into the traps of darkness and for doing things, even if that isn't their motive, that are horrible and terrible to others. Just because they don't, they don't get what they're doing as being that way, so they don't realize it, and the outcome can be quite seriously negative. So that's the reason we want to have faith-based religions, because it fights some of that. It, it prevents it from getting much out of hand. And we'll talk a bit more about that when we come back, and we will be coming back in about two and a half minutes from right now. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower. M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com 
or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the whys, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's hidden meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. We're back. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, we're doing a show on faith-based religions and God. And hopefully you did hear the first part of the show, first segment, because I was describing what that means and what I'm hopefully not going to be doing to step on people's toes, because a lot of people, the majority of people in this world at this time, are a member of a faith-based religion. Uh, And that's the important part, I think, of understanding tonight's show, is that this is not anti-faith-based religions. This is the opposite. It's just trying to put into context what that means and how we can make it better. Because I did talk about, I touched on some of the problems. And those problems are still there today. They aren't as severe in some cases as they were in the past. But it depends on a case-to-case basis which religion we're talking about and what's, what subgroup of that religion. Uh, Some religions are much more, we'll say, tolerant and uh, more even in their development of the chakras, the spiritual chakras, the three different bodies. So in the ways that faith is, is developed about their religion. Sometimes they even understand and teach a bit about that, such as Buddhism. Uh, but and it depends which kind of Buddhism. But the important thing to realize here is that just because a religion even teaches some of what I just described doesn't mean that the religion itself accomplishes that. You can, let's take an example. Uh, there's some forms, uh, such as Tibetan Buddhism, that teach a lot about what I just described to you. I mean, not entirely, but I mean, pieces here and there are pretty clear. They even understand some about the chakras. Not 100%, but hey, you know, considering where they come from and everything and what they're doing, you know, it's it's okay. Uh, Then if you compare that to Zen Buddhism, 
which is a combination of uh, philosophies in, in, in Japanese thought and some of them in some parts of China, not, not any longer uh, supported by some of the Tibetan Buddhists and some of the other kinds of Chinese Buddhism, you, you end up with a very different kind of slant on the whole thing. Instead of the religion being pre- predominantly faith-based, it really has to do with a religion that is dominated by manasic control over astral uh, feelings and uh, a dominance of the mental thought process, you know, supplanting the feeling one. So instead of feeling God through the, uh, the two spiritual chakras, there's an emphasis on thinking God through the two mental higher chakras. That isn't so terrible. It's just that when you eliminate some of the feeling part, uh, the way that the religion operates becomes distorted. It has a shallowness in love and in a compassion for others. As a matter of fact, Zen Buddhism considers some forms of compassion for others a negative aspect of the religion, within the religion. Uh, and and you, could, you could say that if compassion is missing from people to others, that it might be missing, and it is, some of that, in the relationship that others have with God. So the uh, factor then becomes, well, if compassion isn't important, then what about how people serve or react or interact with others? And that sometimes becomes an element, too. There's a lack of real expression of love. And uh, a truth may be there, but without a balance to love. There's an example of two parts of what a lot of people think is kind of the same religion, Buddhism, but not really, where they're expressed differently through the chakras, and therefore the kind of faith base that they have is very different. Now, let's look at some other factors that then become, uh, we'll say, important in knowing and understanding tonight's show. We know that most people, majority of people on Earth today, are members of a faith-based religion. Now, just because they're members doesn't mean that they buy into all of the faith-based assumptions in that religion and all of its, we'll call it, edicts and thoughts and rules expressions, uh, teachings, uh, they may accept only part of them, or none of them, or they may follow them with extreme, uh, you know, vitality, and they believe that they're the only thing that should should be done. So it really depends on the person in the religion, more than the religion itself. Nonetheless, if you look at it from the standpoint of what I said generally about faith-based religions, most people today have not uh, significantly fused all three of the crown and heart chakras of the three bodies. And they are not leading a spiritual life by definition of what that means by fusing those chakras together. And further, they certainly haven't fused the other five chakras in the three different bodies together or If they have, it's usually just the uh, astral body that they've done it on. That's some level. 
of empathy, but the amount that they join that with the astral, say, centers of uh, a spirit, the crown, heart and crown chakras, is minimal or none. And so the issue here is that we have a, a world population that cannot get very far beyond faith-based religion. And even within the faith-based religions, most of them find it hard to understand the most relevant and important parts of what faith is, because they don't understand what it is. So, And the religion itself may not be able to teach it to them, as I am tonight. So you have some real weaknesses, even faults, you could call it, in most people practicing religion today in the world. But it's better for them to practice it than not, because to not do so, uh, because to become either agnostic, which would be doubtful of God, or to become atheistic, which is denial of God, is far more tragic and causes many, many uh, serious uh, problems because it leads to darkness and eventually an increase in evil in the world. Uh, not because the people themselves are evil, but because they don't see evil and they don't understand it, and it takes over before they even understand what the, what's happening. Uh, if you see God and understand God, uh, you know what not God is, and that's evil. But um, if you don't, it's very difficult to identify evil. Very difficult. And this is also true of people who are overly... Uh, overly convinced that the faith-based elements of the religion are perfect or near perfect, because then they uh, they don't can't think about the characteristics of what God is uh, clear enough to be able to see evil either, which is so weird, isn't it? Uh, strong a strong faith-based uh, viewpoint can leave you blind to evil, to darkness and evil, and even blind to what God is really like. Because after all, um, in the faith-based element, it's really about being only conscious of what the religion says, not what we are trying to expand in ourselves about. Now, some religions actually tell you to expand that, but they are rare and few. Most religions tell you from their viewpoint what you should feel and think and therefore what faith you need to have in a certain way. That's a much more limited and unfortunately not helpful towards the development of God in general for humans, especially at this time. Religion, though, has helped enormously over time because in earlier periods, Humans have not been really that advanced mentally, much less in other concepts as well. And so they needed a religion to help them uh, to at least have an anchor to some segment of God. And that anchor was faith. And the faith came through how the religion presented God and the person then believing that that is what God is. And as long as it fit their awareness of God in their centers, they were okay. Some people would have an awareness different because their chakras are working better sometimes than the religion is on average. And they might leave the religion or be 
will say stalwarts of change in it because they they sense something differently than what the uh, average of the religion is uh, about. It happens all the time. So religions are a bit unstable because of that, because there's always some people that are falling into or outside of the faith-based aspect of the religion as it has been promoted and promoting itself to others about. And when you find God to be something different than your religion is finding it and expressing it to you, then God usually wins for a lot of people. So religions become unstable because of that. And a new religion can supplant it. Or it could be radically modified, which is unusual, but it could. All right, so when we have these circumstances, this is a complicated situation, and it's not easy for us to deal with because so many people have so many different faith-based views. How did that happen? Well, it's uh, because of a thing called diversity. Part of God's plan is to, to diversify life. And human beings, when they become diversified, are not just based on diversity of a standard, uh, we'll say, level of both awareness and consciousness in their senses, like animals and plants have, uh, somewhat by species and, you know, the genes that they possess, which are connected to group souls and common level of shared group selves. Human beings are individuals. We are the the key of individuality. But in our individuality, to join a faith-based religion where individuality is continually compromised by the group conscious idea of what God is and expects of people who are members of the religion, at least that's the way a lot of religions express God, that compromises and somewhat is in competition to individuality. There is where the individuality part is where diversity comes in. And because human beings have so much individuality, the diversity of human beings, even when brought together in a collective subgroup, tends to alter or destroy and sometimes separate from the main group. And in this case, we're talking about religious group. You see, it was supposed to be that way. It isn't that it's some evil plan. That humans are supposed to uh, individualize and uh, uh, keep improving upon, hopefully, their development of consciousness. But that, if you do that, will challenge most faith-based religions. And it will cause the religion to either bend and change or to become destroyed or to ostracize those who are doing that sort of thing, trying to keep itself in its integrity the way it was before. Religions tend to be very past-oriented. In other words, they're more concerned about keeping themselves as they have been and in creating themselves into something new. Why is that the case? Well it really has to do with the nature of what religion is trying to do. It isn't trying to define God as a growing God. It's trying to define God as a static being that oftentimes has tenets and principles and laws that are unique to the religion itself. The uniqueness is what the religion 
makes its character into and from. And uh, without that, uh, it wouldn't be any different from many others. So since the differences come at the cost of individual differences, the differences come from the difference from one religion to the next, then you have this competition. Competition between religions and competition between some of the more individually thinking and individually creating members within any religion. That is faith-based. Wow. Well, that's a mouthful. <laughs> All right. But you, so in examining this, this complicated problem, it, it's like um, you, you have to ask yourself, well, okay, but you keep telling us that, that this is good, that without it we'd be worse off. Please tell us how, because it sounds terrible. Well, I'll tell you how. Although all these things are, without question, serious compromises and serious problems for humanity and the whole world itself, and certainly uh, as many people have died in the name of one religion over another as virtually anything else in our world, the 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 basic the basic positive side of religion is that if you composite all the different religions in and of and within themselves, they provide for some of the means that God can express itself in human terms in a way that is effective and efficient. And although it lacks creativity, it has a certain amount of sound, we'll call foundation, and stability. And a lot of people want that for their life. It almost is a need, especially for people who have families, to have that in their life. So people with children and families tend to be more religious and members of a specific religion than people who are not, for exactly that reason, because they give up some of their individuality as a means of gaining some of these ways of creating light or virtue within themselves and others by a structure that the religion gives them. That structure might be attending church on a certain day of the week for a certain period of time. It might be on uh, getting the advice of some of the members of the church at certain periods of time. It might be on carrying out rituals such as marriage and death in certain ways that the church decides or the religion decides. It is through all of these vast numbers of ways that the faith is put into the religion and people follow the religion because of the faith that it acts as a mediator to people's lives, especially when families or groups of people are involved uh, within the religion, that's a that's a very big factor, and uh, it has been, in a lot of cases, the thing that has held together societies more than laws, or uh, family backgrounds, genealogy, all kinds of geographical uh, confinements and connections. All those things together sometimes have not been as strong as the religious tenets themselves in some circumstances, not always. Sometimes those other things can collectively challenge the religion. But nonetheless, 
religion has been a foundation in most of societies, human societies, to, uh, we'll say, foster organization, stability, a sense of belonging, uh, a kind of uh, uh, identity that is expressed through group beyond the self. That balances individuality and somewhat selfishness. And it also tends to be more feminine, partly because the, all faith-based religions come from the sixth ray, which is a feminine ray. It is a singular, or it tends to be a singular approach. Of course, there could be hundreds, thousands of tenets that the religion is in some way impressing upon it. But together, though that collection is it has a single direction to it, which is the direction of how it's presented in general by the particular religion. And that gives unity in a feminine way, rather than masculine, uh, to those that are members of the religion, whether you're male or female. Very interesting stuff. Now, some people have said, well, what about, or asked uh, in the past, what about a religion that isn't based upon the sixth right? Well, by definition, a faith-based religion is always along the sixth right, but uh, some religions have obviously moved away from just an expression of the sixth right. And when they do that, they don't work very well with faith-based principles. I mean, if you're a member of the church, quote-unquote, of Scientology, which in itself, by by its name, would be more of a fifth-based, uh, kind of fifth-ray-based uh, religion, ten, it tends to have little or no faith, and uh, it tends to work on the premise that the consciousness and uh, of a human being is what is the uh, principle of God in nature. And as humans develop their consciousness through various tests and uh, reprogramming of their thought processes, uh, they can in some way attain a closeness of God. Now, that is pretty far away from faith-based, partly because it's so very fifth-ray. Also, it's extremely manipulative because it almost entirely is based on a, uh, we'll call it, system of hierarchy of the ability for a person to uh, clear their mind in ways that produces only the thoughts that are acceptable to the religion itself. That religion was based upon fantasies of a guy named Ron Hubbard and uh, not so much on anything else, which is kind of strange. But it has grown, and there are some fairly famous people that belong to that religion. Now, the interesting thing about it is there is some element of faith in the religion. It's just not the dominant thing. And so it's hard to call it faith-based. I would call it uh, faith-added at times, but not faith-based. There's a lot of other religions that have the same kind of tone. I'd say Scientology is very far away from faith-based. Other religions are a little closer, but they still do- are dominated by something other than faith. I mentioned Zen Buddhism as an example, but there's some other ones too. 
And so when we start to look at this whole range, we start to realize that uh, just like humanity has great great levels of differences in consciousness, so does religion. And there are vast numbers of religions. Some have disappeared in history and some that uh, are vir- virtually unknown because they're so small and separate from everyone else's. Now, a lot of you know that I teach Ageless Wisdom. Ageless Wisdom is not considered a religion. (laughs) It's weird, because it's the foundation of some religions. But the reason it's not a religion, it's not a way of of worshipping God. And the worship of God is part of, by definition, what a religion is supposed to help people to do. And uh, Ageless Wisdom uh, explains God, it helps people to both understand and co-create with God. But the worship of God, from a standpoint of, we'll call it faith, but beyond faith, also uh, the ability to become extremely grateful and even uh, to become, at the same time, uh, desirous of closeness with God not just to co-create, but be closer to God. That is a religious desire. And not impossible to become part of Ageless Wisdom, because Ageless Wisdom, like I said, has spawned great religions like Zoroaster. But it has, it doesn't have those key elements that would make it a religion. And Religions of the future may be much more profoundly based upon angels' wisdom, as I'm defining them even tonight and explaining what faith is through angels' wisdom. But um, still, that being the case, and they might be very closely aligned, uh, they're still going to have elements that angels' wisdom does not have in it because of this, we'll call it, worshiping, gratefulness, love of connection, feeling connection to and with God. All of that is still part of how religions work. You can have those same things and not be a part of a formal religion. But then they are created on the individual side or a small group of people could create it for themselves without it being a religion. Religion is optional, but it is also the main way that people gain an understanding of God in this world at this time, and has been since the beginning of this world's human development. So it's fascinating to think about, but uh, we do need religion, because it is providing a huge role that even angels' wisdom as it is in its pure form today, to esoteric, hidden, for most people to understand, and too difficult for most people to mentally understand, and further, maybe blasphemous and antagonistic to the specific religion, if it's faith-based, that they belong to. Let me give you an example of that so we can understand it. Uh, People today, a lot of people who are Christians, uh, have you know, celebration of the um, 
death of Christ and the eventual uh, re, uh, re living, reliving, living of uh, Christ uh, that uh, came as a result of his three days later uh, arising after death. Now, all, that's part of the, their, their understanding, but it also has to do with a lot of other factors, such as uh, Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ who represented God on earth and was God's son. That's a common element in much of Christianity. Now, that is not supported by, by uh, Angel's wisdom. Angel's wisdom says Jesus Christ was a, was a great disciple of a teacher from a higher kingdom, itself being closer to God, but not, not anywhere near God. And Jesus supposedly taught that other people could be as great or greater than him, so that would be a little hard to understand how the being that claims to be whatever he is says that others can be like him or greater than him, so how could that be that he is God? So you have a contradiction from what he claims of himself that others claim about him, and all that being the same, being the situation, the religion takes over. The religion says this is what the religion has decided, is a truth based upon faith in Jesus, who is, in that particular part of the religion, God. Okay, so we, we see that there is a difference here. Does that mean that angels' wisdom is uh, calling out Christianity as being nonsense and uh, some, some non-way to, to worship God? No. As a matter of fact, since angels' wisdom recognizes the need for faith-based religion for most people, the majority of people on earth at this time and even greater levels before, then it would not make sense to attack something that people think is true, whether it is or not, it doesn't matter, because their faith is encouraged by it, and the faith is the part of the religion that keeps them looking for and trying to be more virtuous, and trying to live the things that angels' wisdom are uh, asserting as part of God. It helps them to become God through this way, by a worship and grateful person towards uh, a great being who is uh, Jesus, and uh, somewhat joined with his teacher, the Christ. But maybe they don't see it that way. It's okay. It's okay, because in angels' wisdom, you don't have the dogma that it has to be stated as one way or the other. As long as it is moving in the direction of light and away from the dark side, that's fine. So this is the difference. I hope that that example, particularly tonight, will help you to see that when I speak of these things, I in no way am trying to uh, be derogatory towards any religion uh, that because it's faith-based. Because without that, I don't know this world would stay together. We, we need it. Uh, even if it's going to be later changed by people's consciousness growing, that's fine. And if it doesn't change because I'm wrong about some of the things I'm telling you about angel system, that's fine too. It, it, it really doesn't matter, does it? We're here to uh, 
co-create with our Creator, and whatever way that that works, fine, let it be. Okay. That aside, to the remainder of tonight's show, this is a little con- this is a little contradictory. I'm going to discuss how I think we can improve upon uh, faith-based religions, uh, maybe through some ideas in angels wisdom. And whatever I express or whatever I say is always with the respect for and concern that we keep faith-based religions and that there be lots of different ways that people can become religious without having to fit some kind of litmus test of believing in one thing or another. Because the appreciation should be what the religion is doing for the world and humanity and every all of life in the world, then whether or not this particular edict or that particular way of expressing that particular method of worship is better than the others or is terrible or good or bad or anything like that. That's not what we're about. It's not really important, and it may be very destructive to get into that sort of thing. Okay, so let me start with some of the ideas that that we've come up with so far. One of the things to be concerned about as the joining of the spiritual centers. There there were serious mistakes made, if you go back historically. I'm going to try to bring in some of these mistakes. We don't fall into those things again by promoting certain things in religion that might lead us in the wrong direction. Okay. Uh, during the sixth uh, sub-race of the Lemurian race, the mistake was that uh, once the uh, two spiritual centers in two different bodies were starting to join together to some small extent, and between them two, those two further, there was an encouragement uh, that maybe uh, this sub-race in the next race, the seventh, would uh, develop a more integration, a higher level of integration in, in the lower centers, the, the centers that are not spiritual, the mundane centers, so that you could start literally unifying everything. And they actually invented means of doing this using certain kinds of yoga. Some of them were effective. But the real problem wasn't the yogas, it was the spiritual service element. The sixth sub-race of Lemurians was the most spiritual sub-race if you don't count what they did to serve others. They mostly did a lot of development of faith-based kind of things, although the faith in that case was a lot closer to ageless wisdom than some of the faith-based religions of today. And um, they, although they had a limited understanding of ageless wisdom, they understood more about the chakras, even as an example, than most people do today. And so they... Uh, would do a lot of things to try to improve their spiritual nature by improving their two spiritual chakras in each of the three bodies, but mostly the, the lower two, the astral and the physical, or the etheric physical. And so by spending so much of their efforts, particularly on trying to unify those senses, um, they got considerably imbalanced in service. There were wonderful beings, wonderful people to be around, 
uh, in terms of uh, their sentiment and how they express themselves about their understandings of God, wanting to cooperate and share with others, etc. They had this great, we'll say, overall consensus that that's the way that everybody should live. They did moderate levels of cooperation and sharing. They sometimes would share food. Uh, they sometimes would uh, share some responsibilities and work, and those are good things. That's where most of their efforts were put into the cooperation and sharing site. Now, for a lot of people, they would say, well, what's wrong with that? That <laughs> sounds better than today. And they were a very spiritual subrace. But where they fell down was in trying to use all of their senses together to create new ways on a more individual level, especially, to uh, be creators of light in the world. They were not industrially creative. They were not um, uh, the ones who attempted to improve on their civilization, the expression of others in how they could do things better and more effectively with others still. And it was more of an internal rather than external life that they saw. That's why the race ultimately didn't get us to where we needed to get to. The seventh sub-race adopted all the things I just said, but they did so in contradistinction to the sixth focus on joining the uh, spiritual chakras together. So the seventh said, people in the seventh said, yeah, we're much more interested in creating a more robust civilization, build buildings that will last longer and do better and, and be more effective, have better forms of communication, build boats and ships and go exploring, uh, and have uh, more connections with uh, other people. But unfortunately, eventually those connections became to enslave them rather than to enlighten them. And eventually, instead of them living their life to... Uh, gain a greater understanding of God and to co-create with God, they wanted to become as powerful as God. Powerful. So they they believed their race was to create power mostly by being stronger and better organized and more forceful than the six sub-race and more outward rather than inward in their uh, at least initial interpretation of what God was. Eventually, they lost all sight of God because once they go down the path of not caring about what other people are experiencing from their forceful nature, they became evil over time. But all of this came as a reaction to what the failing was in the six sunrise. The failing in the six sunrise was to not balance out their inner, inner focus, which is very strong of God, with an outer equal co-creation. They would do minimal things, as I said earlier, but not the full body of truly taking all their inner closest to God and trying to express it in some way here in the physical world. 
They couldn't put that part together for themselves. And what they did do failed for the most part. They were not very successful in developing a highly productive society. They would rather meditate than to do something to be of service to other people in many circumstances. So that's where they fell down. And that led to the seed of the next subrace, which reacted almost violently against the six subrace by saying those folks didn't create much of a world for us. We we're going to create that world, but then they lost God. Instead of staying up with and continuing to fuse their spiritual chakras, they ceased or stopped developing them. In some cases, they went even backwards. And they put most of their efforts into developing more of their individual senses, but still not unifying them, so that they can develop more of their society. And they became very good at it. And they turned a lot of their efforts into enslaving others. That was a dominant aspect. Instead of trying to cooperate with others and share with others, they decided to enslave them. They figured a good slave is worth 10 people. One good slave is worth 10 people that you're cooperating with. Because after all, the slave, you can get them to do whatever you want. When you want cooperation, requires everybody else to go along with it. And they thought that model was much more efficient, just enslave the folks that you don't like very much. And even if you like them, a good slave is, is quite valuable. So slavery was the biggest element of, um, we'll say, change, but very negative and dark change, in the 7th Lemurian suburbs. And that led to the most strange kinds of religious changes. We go from ageless wisdom being part of the religion of the six sub-root race people to literally uh, these people had gods of war, <laughs> the seventh sub-race. And they, they believed that the, one, the, the ones that had the most slaves and the ones that had the most power and control over others even if it wasn't to enslave with the controllers, either with government, politically, or whatever, that was the ones who became the most prominent people, not not just politically, but also in their befuddled, strange religion that they had. Because that was their religion. The religion of slave masters. Strange as it seems. Okay, so that being the case... You can see that that was leading into a very bad situation, and it did. And so that was the first, we'll call it, peak and subsequent almost reactive result in religious development in the uh, Lemurian races. It was strange, and of course it led to the eventual ending of that whole race. Now, if we move into the Atlantean period and try to understand religions, now these are prehistorical, just so we all understand that. I'm not talking about somebody going to go take a book out and say, well, there it is, right there. So you say, well, this is prehistory. But if we, if we look at that, we start seeing that during the Golden Age, about starting 
uh, 2.4 million years ago, a long time ago, uh, of, of Atlantis for over a million years, really about 1.2 million years. Um, the, that uh, race of people, that was the fourth sub-race in the beginning of the fifth, uh, did come pretty close to having, uh, again, ageless wisdom as a foundation for some of their religion. One of the things that they were most sensitive about that the Lemurians had no understanding at all about was multidimensionality. They realized that when you died, you went to another dimension of time and space. They thought of it sort of like heaven-like, but it wasn't the kind of heaven that we find in our religions, nebulous and kind of whatever, undefined. They understood it from angels wisdom to be relatively defined, but not well enough so they understood anything more than the people who actually had communication across using certain technologies that ceased to exist after a while, but were existent then, uh, of being able to communicate with people from the physical world to the astral world and, and, and back and forth, but only to people who are from the fifth, sixth, or seventh astral subworld. Those are the subworlds where people are more selfish and pretty selfish, progressively more so from the fifth to the seventh. And that's what people began to base the religion on. So the faith-based element of religion was to try to live your life here in the physical world as people were living there in the astral world. But those are the places where the more selfish people were found who were feeding everybody here in the physical world what their perspective was on what life was about. But their perspective, coming from people who are generally selfish, was grossly inaccurate and distorted the eventual motivations that people had who were living in the Atlantean race, the fourth sub-race, and actually started more into the fifth, uh, on what life is about and what God is about. A totally distorted viewpoint of God started to become developed. That we only live this life as a test for, and some of this is still in religion today, so don't think it's gone away. We live this this life as a test to go on to the astral world where you're rewarded. But the reward is weird because it's the fifth, sixth, and seventh subworlds, which is the lower part of the astral world, where people live very selfish lives, even somewhat more selfish than people who are alive in the physical world. It's weird. And so this was the foundation that eventually became part of the Atlantean religion. That was a big problem because people didn't care enough to live unselfishly and as God is in this world. They live to die and go into the next world where they got everything they desired, and they thought that's what God wanted for them, and that's what they wanted, to get everything that they desired, because that's what people get in those lower subworlds of the astral world. But the, the point is that from that issue of faith, the faith in God now was a God who rewards us, rewards us, for having desires that we can meet once we go to the astral world, and that while we're here in the physical world, we must keep from becoming too strong, 
keep from becoming too strong so it's disruptive of other people's desires. That's what the religion says. So you can have as many desires as you want, but you can't interfere with other people's desires. And if you're careful about not interfering with other people's desires while you're physically alive, when you go to the astral, all your desires will be met there. That's what their religion was predominantly about. That was the faith-based issue in their religion. Some religions have copied some of that, even up till today. It's weird, huh? That's what caused the eventual evil that entered the Atlantean sub-race and destroyed them. And it has destroyed races of people even into modern times with some kind, similar kinds of concepts. Not always even as sophisticated as the thought of the Atlanteans. But they were mostly emotional thinkers. They weren't mental thinkers. So from their emotive viewpoint, using their astral creative thoughts, that's imagination now, it made perfect sense to have that belief structure. As a matter of fact, it would be very hard to convince an Atlantean or a whole bunch of Atlanteans that their viewpoint was wrong because it made so much sense to them. Now, we today could obviously argue against it and probably win the argument because we think more mentally. But to a person who thinks astrally, and that's our dominant way of thinking, that that whole system just seems like, yeah, got to be the way it is. And the vast majority of Atlanteans believe in what I'm telling you. There were those who were more spiritually disciplined, and some of them followed a great deal more accurate viewpoints in pure ageless wisdom, which says something completely different. They understood the concepts, as I presented them earlier in the show tonight, and so they were in conflict with the people who were so selfish, but they couldn't change them necessarily. Now, of course, everybody's going to find out the truth eventually, right? But, you know, if we don't create enough virtue, we don't remember. Until we come back and do it over and over again, and many Atlanteans had hundreds of lifetimes during its existence from its golden age on. Now, having faith that God rewards those who don't interfere with the desires of others with giving us all our desires met seems a very reasonable position. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it may be a little childlike to, to assume, but these people were like children in comparison to us today. And that, and we were them, some of us at least, were, were living back then. And so that's not that crazy. Okay. So, taking this to the uh, development of the fifth race of people, us, the fifth root race, sometimes referred to, uh, we have actually, in a strange way, gone in a regressive pattern towards faith-based being even less, less of a, we'll call it, concise explanation of God than the Atlanteans had. And the reason for that 
is that, uh, especially in terms of Christianity, which affected a lot of other religions, but it was true in Judaism as well, uh, there has been faith-based understandings that have thrown out Gnostic viewpoints, which is knowing viewpoints, and so much so that the Jews that kept the Gnosticism in their religion uh, became Kabbalists who would read something other than what most of the, and study something other than what most of the other Jews did, and they, some of them developed a somewhat ageless wisdom viewpoint that was different from the rest of the Jewish people. But the Jewish people in general were very faith-based in more traditional ways, which is more primitive, in my opinion, and has less ageless wisdom in it. And then Christianity is very strongly riddled with it because it deliberately forced out knowingness or Gnosticism uh, in 325 A.D. because the conclusion of Constantine and others was that if you don't have a full-bore faith-based religion, people are not controllable in a political sense, and you don't have an empire that is easily rulable. So as a pragmatic way of making religion a part of a empire and, uh, and part of politics, faith-based was the only way to go. Knowledge-based develops too much individuality in your religion, and therefore people as individuals may not go along with the commands of the government using religion as its foundation for authority. And then it just didn't wash out for those folks. Now, I, I know that sounds terrible as I describe it because it seems so anti-God and religion. But it is a fact, not a fiction, that that's what occurred, and even why it occurred. So, I mean, there's enough um, historical accounts to, to uh, back up what I just said. I'm not making a judgment. I'm just making an uh, informed explanation and somewhat analysis. This is not, it's not a judgment. All right, so that led to all kinds of problems because when a religion is faith-based, it's very past-oriented, as I said at the beginning of the show. You need it to not change much, if at all. As science changes, though, and as people's mental abilities improve, which is what happens in angels' wisdom's explanation of people, the result is that the religion becomes fractured, becomes intolerantly repressive, oppressive, and it doesn't allow for much change or growth because it's, it's, it's based on past parts of life that doesn't grow, doesn't change. And so the religion tends to become very inflexible. Now today, there's been some flexibility last century or so it has necessity in some of the major religions, Christianity being one of them. Some religions have fractured, such as Islam, into 
parts that have been somewhat modernized and other parts that have been still somewhat regressive. The regressive parts have usually become more radicalized, some of the people, and even revolutionary because they're fighting against their own other sides, plus they fight against other religions as well. This is a tough problem. And when we look at some of the Eastern religions, you know, uh, if you examine Hinduism or any of the other uh, dominant religions, we find the same issue of looking into the past as a support for the faith. It's good because the faith, because the past gives us a lot of customs, it provides a lot of stability, as I described earlier, but at the cost of individuality and growth. And it fights then against it sometimes, depending upon who's running the religion at that time, who, who is in control of the edicts and how things are expressed, and if they're willing to make some changes or not. That's how it works. So today we have this mishmash of religions that some are uh, becoming rather severe, others that are making some changes. And the the changes are probably helpful, and we don't want to get rid of religion. We want to support them, the concepts of freedom, which is part of God, and love, part of God, and right interactions among people and life, which is also part of God, and the co-creation of more life with God. These things are bigger tenets and are part of angels' wisdom. And we need that to be continually, those things, continually developed more while the past things that no longer apply possibly to be mitigated or let go of. Very hard to do because religious is so past-oriented. But nonetheless, if we don't do it, the religions will stand in the way of future development of human beings. If you go strictly by the chakras, the unity of the chakras only comes about by there not being a restrictive value in the fields of people to prevent them from growing by being free and to develop themselves both group consciously and individually at the same time. The religions become threatened by the individuality and then make a stilted form of group consciousness that's based upon custom and belief and edicts rather than what helps people to become closer to their creator. Wow. Interesting. Interesting stuff. All right, so if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to really change all this, some of the, some of the things that I suggest that we start looking at would be the following. Hold on, I'm going to make a quick spray of my throat so I can keep talking. There we go. That voice gets stronger every time I do that. See, it works good. All right. So, how we, for, for the rest of the show, I want to apply principles of ageless wisdom and modernize uh, the structure of religion, not get rid of it, so that there still is a faith-based aspect to religion, but one that is more flexible and grows with the minds of people, not with tradition and some um, outmoded 
belief that all of the things that are in a religion were actually created by God, even though each sub-religion has completely different beliefs, and therefore which one is right, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of them. So they're all going to fight each other and see who comes out as the winner. Of course, it's ridiculous. So instead, I suggest this other means, and the following is some of my suggestions. That the principles and angels' wisdom be learned by all uh, people studying any religion. Not that the that the principles supplant or or replace the religion, but the principles be used to see how the customs, ceremonies, methods, beliefs, and most importantly faith of the religion fits principles in angels' wisdom that make sense to those who have been taught it and find some parts of it to be valid for them. And it be based upon the leaders in all these religions and or those that have the most amount of influence in some way. Now, why am I saying this? Because I'm in love with angels with it. Well, maybe, I don't know. I think I'm saying it mostly because angels' wisdom right now is the greatest way of finding and expressing God I have found. And I think if it were used as a tool and yardstick for other faith-based religions, we could improve upon them dramatically without causing a great deal of havoc or destruction. Okay, what is likely to take place? First of all, the first thing is that each religion would become more tolerant of all the other religions. Why would that happen? Because they would find a common foundation for much of what they believe is the truth in their religion from their faith. And that would help them immediately to let go of some of their hostilities towards each other, and it would permit uh, each to have an appreciation, a gratitude for the diversity of religions in general and how it promotes freedom for everybody. That would be one of the things that would come out of the study of ageless wisdom as part called of a curriculum of training for any and all religions. Now, it's still up to the religion to, to decide. I'm just suggesting that I would like to offer this as a possible uh, way to make a better world. Because after all, religions right now are creating horrible consequences for a lot of different people. Some of it more severe and more, we'll call it almost intolerable and even deadly than anybody can imagine. The Middle East is like some kind of terrible war zone. I mean, a lot of countries tell you not to travel there. It's like too dangerous to go to. Okay, another thing that will happen is human rights. Different than than angels' wisdom itself. Uh, Some religions, as we all are aware, violate human rights. As a matter of fact, I would say the majority of religions in some way violate some human rights. What is a human right? Well, a human right is the right to be free 
an example, a woman that isn't allowed to dress the way she wants to dress, drive a car, have a job in certain areas, or be married to who she wants, is not free, but may be part of a religious structure and belief system. If you use ageless wisdom to explain how, how and what a self is, and how a self is part of the expression of God through the soul, and how that whole thing works together, people with certain religious viewpoints, as an example about women, as I just described it, um, might have a very different view after they think about it and after they try to test their religion with these other ideas. They may not, but it may at least do something. Maybe it'll stop some women from being mutilated so that they don't become sexually promiscuous, if you can actually believe it, that that is done still today, and it is. Then you kind of, you look at it from that standpoint, then obviously, obviously human rights are a key value that we do want to promote, if possible, because it's part of the light of God. That doesn't mean that you have to believe that human rights are more superior than God's thought, or even the faith of a religion. It's just that you need to look at how the faith in the religion is being expressed, and is it harmful, is it hurtful to others. The same might be true of homosexuals. You know, uh, homosexuals, uh, they may be doing some harm to themselves, but generally they don't do harm to others. And is it right to do harm to them through edicts in a religion or try to prevent them from having certain rights that are human rights? Same might be true of how, uh, we'll say, uh, people are expected to eat, or consume whatever foods or whatever, or a whole bunch of other things that seem like very basic human rights, and yet they're interfered with. Now, I'm not just talking about Islam here, although some of those things I just said are, are common in Islam. There, there are a, a whole bunch of strange things in every religion we can look at. Heck, if you, you know, we talked about not driving a car. Well, you're not supposed to drive a car if you're an Orthodox Jew from Friday night, uh, the beginning of the evening, the Sabbath, until Saturday night. You probably didn't know that because there aren't that many Jews practicing that anymore. But the, the very thought about that is very important because one of the reasons that many don't practice that is because they have challenged it with other principles, some of them being ageless wisdom principles, of freedom of the individual and freedom of human rights. And the ability to be creative and the ability to be expressive and interactive in intelligent ways with others. A lot of these particular, uh, we'll call them strange uh, restrictions that many religions have had a good reason for their existence at a particular time and place in history. Now, I 
I'm not going to defend them, but I'm going, and this is, is not a defense, but I want to give you some examples of that so that we all can become a bit more, we'll call it, open-minded. Why would you not want somebody to be on the Sabbath for that one day, uh, getting on a cart with an oxen or a donkey or getting on the back of a donkey and traveling somewhere because they didn't have cars. And why would you not want that? Well, the rationale was that if you're doing that, how can you be trying to communicate with God? How can you be hearing what God is trying to communicate with you? The activity itself demanded so much energy and attention that it was uh, considered at the time to be interruptive of this crucial period of time when a person should be doing just the things I described. Now, you might say, well, that sounds okay, maybe if you had nothing better to do with your time. And that's part of it, isn't it? Folks in that day and age, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, five thousand years ago, they had maybe less things to be doing. And this particular time, it wasn't any great sacrifice to spend those 24 hours communicating with God. And so today we would say, well, 24 hours, I wouldn't even spend 24 minutes doing that. Well, that's because the world has a different time frame. We live in an accelerated time where uh, we do so much more and so, so much less time. So it wasn't considered that much of an intrusion to create that rule. You see. And then about, uh, as I talked about women, why why would women be considered property in the way that animals or other things, and why would they not have human rights? Well, it has to do with the dominance of males in general in the fifth race and the fifth sub-race, and also that the society was based so much on uh, force and force coming from strength of person and body. Women are weaker that way. And the minds were not either as developed, nor were they uh, appreciated for what they could do, because most people didn't use them that much. Therefore, the equality of a woman's mind with a man's mind, even though it had some differences, um, was not appreciated because physical strength, and maybe in some cases some forms of physical endurance, and the ability to overpower others was more important than whether or not you could uh, think of a bunch of things more abstractly at a particular time, because that made less importance, particularly if you're trying to stay alive. And a lot of life and death issues were important, around the question of physical prowess and power. So that's how women became second class. They could be dominated by men easily. And their nature was such that they didn't feel the need to be as individual as men did. Men are more dominated, more individual by their very nature. But that's part of the beauty of the sexes. 
That's why we spend several lifetimes being one sex and then go on next level for the reverse. So we balance this nature in us eventually so the two really don't have a, a, a terribly dominant sign. But all that went into making up these rules that these religions at the time made, and it seemed perfectly reasonable at that time. Angel's wisdom, though, would challenge that today. It might have even challenged it then, but not as strongly as it does today. Today we can see the if God is what we say in Angel's wisdom it is, then it doesn't fit those tenets today that were held so strongly and dearly by people hundreds, thousands of years ago. Things have changed. And that's without saying one is good or bad or indifferent. I'm just saying how they've changed. All right, so if we're going to incorporate more ageless wisdom into our lives, then there needs to be a standard of what ageless wisdom is about now. That's what I'm trying to do, is help people to understand everything I can explain in it, and I think others should do the same thing. It should be challenged continuously by anyone and everyone, by anything I explain or anyone else, to make sure it all fits together in some way that is reasonable. If it doesn't, there should be some, some will say, debate and some further explanation that fits. Does that make sense? I hope so. I think that it should be taught to everybody if they choose to learn it in grade school, in a very young age, and allowed to be part of the system, not as a religion. Never, in my opinion, as a religion. Because if it becomes a religion, then it is something less than, not more than, what it really is. It's an, it's an ontology. It explains the universe in a meaningful explanation. And it backs up or and or explains the cosmology of how the physics of the universe all fits together as well. From that particular standpoint, religions could be corrected, of course, not by force, but by reason. Not immediately, but over prolonged periods of time. And slowly, but hopefully... Hopefully, religions have become more enlightened and violence would reduce tremendously and world conflict would reduce. The value of religion would go up. Faith-based religions would be based more on accurate perceptions of the field of God and its subparts rather than based upon some edicts made by humans thousands of years ago that no longer make any sense if they made sense then. These are not outlandish ideas. They actually are relatively sensible ones, in my opinion. Okay, what could stand in the way of all this? Well, the first is if ageless wisdom is interpreted as being a religious view. Then you have competition between it and any other religion. So instead of using it as a as an ontology, which it should be, people start using it as a competing religion. But then you're going to have nothing more than more battles, people fighting ins and outs. 
The other thing that needs to happen is that ageless wisdom has to be challenged. What I teach needs to challenge what has been taught in the past and vice versa and all other things that are brought in. Everybody has to look and see if there is truly a seamless connection and if it works to support itself. And there truly is thousands or hundreds of thousands, even millions of explanations that are self-supportive and not contradictory. That's the kind of thing that leads to truth. And the concepts themselves have to be self-supporting. Not one concept is the truth, but it completely contradicts this other concept, which is also the truth. Well, no, that is not. That's not angel's wisdom. That's that's somebody's goofy understanding of it. And I've heard it enough times to have to laugh at it. Now, it, it it really helps also for people to gain an understanding of dimensionality. You know, if if we understand it better, we lose some of our fear of death. We can even try and, although I don't recommend it for everybody, you can try to get out of your physical body. That will convention that something else is going on. Even if you just flip around the room theoretically, it's possible to change one's perspective by direct experience. Ageless wisdom does that all the time. It's experience mixed with understanding, etc. It isn't just, well, I'll sit in my room and just think. It's your life experiences to kill. That's the real truth to be found. So I do suggest that people maybe look into the experiential side. Challenge everything through experience besides just thinking about it. Does it fit your experience? If it doesn't, it probably isn't true. Not to say that everybody's experiences are perfect because their senses aren't. But if you get a lot of people experiencing a lot of things that doesn't work out, it's time to throw out that idea and challenge it with something else. Those are the principles in angels, in angels' wisdom. That's exactly what they say. All right, so if you've got, if you've got a system then that you're going to teach to a lot of people, and it's going to be continually improved upon by all the people who participate in it, it's almost like a super version of uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> Instead of definitions, though, it's, it's like an evolving understanding of of the universe ontologically. That is a big difference. That's what my suggestion would be. I would love to see that kind of thing happening. Teaching it in schools would be hopeful, extremely helpful, because most people have no understanding of what it even means. In addition, besides just the school idea, which again would be the educational one, I would love to see people going through, like, having pages up on the web, uh, the, you know, the World Wide Web, and everybody talking about their actual experiences and how they challenged this idea or that idea and what the results were. Good, bad, and different, doesn't matter. They just put it up. And then other people comment what they did and see how they came up. This, to me, is one of the beauties we have in this world now. We can all do that, for the, or most of us can do that, depending upon whether you're being censored or not on the Internet. And so you're allowed to create your own checks and balances. And you're allowed to use systems that weren't available even a short time ago, just tens of years ago. 
So we've got we've got ourselves a uh, a new world where it would be very practical to build up a new kind of faith-based religious order, one that fits uh, both ageless wisdom and truth, and that people can rewrite how to worship God based upon what they find as truth. I would suggest that it starts for religions in any case, with the leaders of those those religions. Let them take the first steps. That's a real challenge to them, because they're usually the ones that want to go into the past and keep everything the same. But I'm saying, let's not do that anymore. It's not working. It's killing vast numbers of people all over the place. It's making our world intolerable. Let's instead try the other way. Let's go the other direction. What I'm suggesting tonight, I think religious leaders have the most incumbent moral, we'll say, uh, edict to do this now. Because the future looks incredibly dim if this sort of thing doesn't take place. We can say, well, let the people rise up and they'll correct the religions. But that will take longer than maybe this world has because the dark side is using all this dissension to destroy us. And so I don't think we've got the time for revolution, and I don't think that's the best way to go about it. I'm discussing this from let the leaders of religions and whatever you consider a leader to be, maybe it won't be the highest up people, but maybe some of them. And let them think about this very strongly. No matter how much they have been taught and believe in faith-based, move towards experiential knowledge to balance it to some extent. Bring all of it together and use some of the principles in Angel's Wisdom as a good challenge. And look for the elements that are in common with others and that will serve, and look for those that are being destructive and how they need to be either modified or purged from the religion that you're in. Now, this is asking a lot from people because they have to become really other-directed. They have to let go of their egotism. They have to let go of what they've been taught and what they're being told to teach. And they they need to let go of maybe a hierarchy that will not support them sometimes if they go off. But it's okay. Because if they really understand what they're here for, that's part of being God. They're here to co-create with God, not to just be some kind of we'll call it robot, of the established powers in their particular religion. It's a tough one. In the past, people that have done this have been excommunicated, killed, tortured. Today, you've got a better chance. We all have a better chance of getting away with it without facing any of those things. If it's done in a way that's prudent, maybe 
politically uh, smart. I mean, I'm not telling you to do things that you know are going to be divisive to others, but rather try to find ways to put it so that they can be brought in rather than excluded from what it is they're trying to change. It is very difficult, the most difficult people, I think, to do is to change a faith-based religion into a non-faith-based, and I don't suggest that be done. That isn't what people want right now. And the few people who do want that don't need religion to help them do it. Most people need a faith-based religion, so I'm suggesting to keep it that way, but just to get it modernized, if you want to call it that way, into something that is much more balanced within the light of God rather than the needs of a political and, uh, we'll call it, religious establishment. Okay, the next uh, thing that I just, you know thought about that would be helpful, besides just promoting agents, which is a biggie, obviously. You know, I, I do believe that that's really the strongest of the, of the elements. But the next thing that would really be helpful would be to look at the most obnoxious parts of any particular religion and to categorize those things that are harmful to people and to literally make it known in some kind of, we'll call it report or uh, doctrine or something, of these things that are so harmful, and that it should be completely fair and unbalanced, or imbalanced between all of the different uh, faith-based religions, so that none are uh, overly represented beyond what, the actual things that they are doing that are harming people. And label these things as being potentially harmful and ask for assistance from all people, including the members who are not part of that. And what could, would be the best and possible alternatives to changing that particular belief structure? without changing the faith-based element? And how could the faith-based element still be kept and preferably even grown without those kinds of harmful beliefs that lead to harmful behaviors on the part of people who are practicing religion? I think enumerating it and uh, looking deep into what it's about and how it could be lived without and how it would improve it for everybody else is a reasonable way to go. Again, if this were done by the leaders in the religion, it's better than even those that stand up against it but aren't involved in the religion or aren't leaders in it. The leaders will have the most profound effect. They might have something to lose, too, but uh, after all, what are we here for? So this will be a great place to uh, go to and start with the religion that you're most familiar with, and you could also help those that are in others. Faith-based religions could all benefit from this because it gets them looking into the present and future instead of just dealing with their world from the past. And it gives them, them the opportunity to develop more individuality without having people 
trying to tear their religion apart. It frees people that they can be somewhat individual and still be a strong member of the faith-based religion. And it also allows each person to exercise their conscience, which is a big name, a word, so that they are not selling themselves out to just work to the party line of the religion and to espouse things that they, in their heart, know are wrong. I think one of the worst things a person can do is to say that they're religious and promote things they know hurt other people and know them to be wrong and hypocritically exclaim them to be some part of the religion and therefore right just simply because it's part of their religion. That, to me, is a really evil thing to do. It's done a lot. So it's an evil we need to get rid of because it's leading to a whole bunch of other evils which are even worse than that. Okay, and then the next thing I would suggest, uh, sort of in order, though, I'm not suggesting this only uh, as, like, you know, do one over the other, but if I was going to go in an order of importance to me anyway, is that I would prefer, at least, that uh, more religions uh, bring women into an equal level of function in every way within the religion itself. Most religions are male-dominated and based. Even the ones that have female orders. They're usually subservient to the males. So what I would suggest is that that be a new expression of feminine, we'll call it, assertion, is that women in general attempt to, um, as much as they can, um, get themselves in a position where they can affect the religion that they're part of. Now, you don't have to do this just, even even if you're just a member, you don't have to do this if you're not, you know, in the hierarchy of that religion. But if you're just a member, assert yourself as much as possible, getting in the feminine viewpoint and moving the religion away from some of the, we'll say, more hostile elements against women and against humanity in general, this is a good thing. It's a very beneficial thing because uh, in the few times in history that this has actually happened, it has happened, it's always been a benefit, not a, a hampering. So history is a good teacher of this. And so I would say that this would really improve the world if we could have some of that happen. Now, I'm not a, a big proponent of a specific religious, I mean, religious, uh, uh, feminine, uh, we'll say, uh, group that is uh, uh, supposedly promoting femininity and feminine principles. And what I'm saying is that the overall women have a great deal to contribute, and it's a lot of that's lacking in religions, and it is what that imbalance is what is causing some of the more bizarre and very destructive things that I would like to see changed. So more women in those roles would tend to improve 
the situation just by there being women. That doesn't mean that all women are necessarily going to do that, I and mean, all would would be the right in the right frame of mind to do that. But I think, on an average, we'd be better off with that taking place. Now, it's difficult for women to do it who are tremendously subservient to men, and they they may be in the structure, but they're too subservient to men. And maybe women outside the structure really would be better, just members, as an example, might be better than someone who is actually part of the religion in some functional sense. And that's also true if we're looking at it from the standpoint of, uh, we'll say, anyone, male or female, that sees an injustice and doesn't raise something about it to someone, and bring it in as an area of discussion in some way. Now, I know that's tough to do sometimes because there's a lot of threat from other from, the, uh, from each religion to anyone who wants to change it because so much of the religion is based upon the past and not changing. If this is how God was, well, that's how God always will be, and if you dare say that there needs to be a change about what God is, then you are anti-God, or at least our God. That's kind of the reasoning, right? Well, that reasoning has got us pretty far down the road to destruction, so we might want to change that a bit, you know. If you really want to understand God, you need to understand more than most faith-based religions can get you. You can only help people to be a bit more virtuous. You can't get to really understanding God through most faith-based religions. They just don't do that because they're based only on faith. And that's not enough. All right. So, uh, another area that I would like to address, and some of these things you, you need to recognize, that what I'm suggesting are just my thoughts on this. You may have your own, and that's fine. And I promote everybody to come up with their own. That's, that's terrific. But it, it has occurred to me for some time that there's a lot of people, but not the majority by any stretch, who are atheists and even more who are agnostic. And how do you deal with that? I mean, let's say that solid 10% of the population in the United States are atheists. It might be 15, I don't know. And then another equal amount or more are possibly agnostic. That means they're not sure God exists and they're sort of atheists, but they're not really any kind of thing. Okay. So what what about those folks? How do we want to deal with that? Because obviously they're not faith-based religious. They are faith-based Are you ready for this? Faith-based Atheists. Now, really, some people who are atheists right now are ready to jump through the electric lines here and come at, at me because they say, I'm not faith-based, nothing. I science, science, and I'm a progressive, and I know what I'm doing. Well, actually, that's not true. And see, this is, the, this is the thing that I've thought about for a long time. It would really be helpful to have some serious discussions with people who are atheists from the standpoint of ageless wisdom, not from the standpoint of faith-based religions, because the faith-based religion is too weak to deal with the, the 
position in argument of a person who is an atheist. Because most people who are atheists use some instruments of science, but science is predominantly wrong, but that doesn't matter. Uh, and they also use logic. There's nothing wrong with logic. Logic is very important. But logic doesn't necessarily get you to truth. Logic gets you to consistency in thought. And uh, it, it provides a person an ability to determine rules and regulations and ways of making things work in a certain way. But it doesn't, uh, doesn't get you to the truth. And the reason for that is simple. The truth comes through concepts that are usually very large and that no series of thought forms contradict, no matter what you come up with. It goes way beyond logic. Logic just means you have the correct time and space sequence and things. So everything fits in okay. Well, lots of things are logical, but they have no truth to them. So at any rate, uh, my suggestion is that uh, some principles in ageless wisdom are extremely powerful, and much they prove much more the truth about God than does anything that an atheist can come up with or muster to argue against it. As a matter of fact, uh, I've been in these debates many times, and uh, they're, they're not much of a debate because the atheist doesn't have a good argument for some of the things that are presented. But the good news is that you can do this in non-threatening ways, and you can help people who are atheist or at least agnostic to uh, move much closer to becoming uh, interested in uh, a relationship with God and to become part of it. The first thing you've got to do is you, uh, in a in a purely scientific sense, is you need to get their uh, their higher spiritual centers, the uh, heart and crown chakras, to have an active spirit sphere. And the only way to really do that is not by argument, but by example and by helping them to help and serve others. If you can get them to do that as an experiment, uh, they can prove to themselves God exists in a matter of weeks or less. And then if they don't want to do that, some people will say, I don't want to do that, you know. It's okay. You can do some thought experiments and use their own past to help them to see that there might be some truth in what you are saying. And then in addition, you can use some other parts of angel's wisdom that explain how the universe works ontologically. Uh, and a lot of people that are rather adamant, even close-minded about there not being a God, are open-minded to the idea of physics and how Right now, the universe is inexplicable uh, in science, but there, if you use angels' wisdom, it's very explicable, and it is physics, but it's metaphysics. And it doesn't in a way that is completely accepted today by most uh, physicists. It's called quantum field theory. And if you use that, it, it's very effective, and that could be read about like in uh, After Life's Hidden Meaning, where you can read it and, and understand it because it's right there in the book, and you say, oh, I got it, this, this field creates this, and this is how, how something comes from nothing, and how God is it. And you get this whole thing, and it, it's not a mechanical explanation. It's an explanation based upon thought and creation, self-creation, and how fields do that sort of thing. And so that's the, that's the 
big part about it. And uh, for someone who's very scientific but not religious, it might be quite helpful. And the, inter- the interesting thing is that you could even help people to become somewhat religious who are atheists, believe it or not, because uh, ultimately they are faith-based in their uh, atheism. They believe that God doesn't exist because they believe that science has proven that it doesn't exist. They believe it. They're wrong. They believe it. And so that's an interesting thing. So they are open to faith-based. It's just not in a religious sense. They're faith-based in an anti-religious sense. So you shouldn't think that they can't be brought to a deeper uh, understanding of angels' wisdom-based God. That also can lead them to some faith-based religious viewpoint. It's odd, but it's possible. Now, does that mean that every, every person who's atheistic, you can get them to suddenly say, oh yeah, God, I got it, I got it. No. As a matter of fact, the biggest problem with people who are atheists is they're chickens. They are afraid to have a discussion about that. Particularly with people like me. (laughs) They might not mind it with their next door neighbor or with someone else who they think are better than, you know, in terms of their thought process. So they, if they can outthink them, then they can say, well, I don't mind talking to them about it. But they don't like talking to people who have a better understanding uh, cosmologically and ontologically of the universe and can present a universe that makes absolute sense to them and even makes more sense than their explanation of there being no God. And therefore, everything is basically a chaotic mess of some sort. Because um, eventually they can see that you can bring them to see that the the universe they're trying to say exists would have already destroyed itself a long time ago and couldn't have produced what we have today. At any rate, so it is possible to have that discussion provided that the person is willing to and unthreatened or less threatened by you. Most people are somewhat threatened by me, so I don't have the easiest time dealing with atheists because they usually won't talk to me. <laughs> they always come up with a reason why we can't really get together and talk. We will next week, next month, next year, next life, but not now. And it's so often that that occurs that it's gotten to the point where I don't, I don't expect that it's going to happen. But I'm an unusual character because I have both a reputation and people who know me can see that I seem to understand what I'm talking about. And that threatens them. Because they don't have an understanding, they only have a faith-based belief that God does not exist. They know their understanding is limited, and very limited at that. And that someone who has a great understanding that God does exist is probably going to upset them. And they don't want to talk about it because it'll affect their faith. They don't want to lose their faith that God does not exist. Just as much as people don't want to lose their faith that God does exist. So that's part of the whole issue. And the 
not think about it as atheists believe God doesn't exist because they're human beings and unlike animals, they have the senses about God, or they never even asked the question in the first place. So by definition, the fact that they even have a belief that God doesn't exist proves God exists because they wouldn't even think about God if they were like animals and didn't have a spirit sphere in each of their heart and crown chakras in, three of, in the three bodies that they exist in. Unbelievable, amazing contradiction and paradox. And I have used that very argument after a while in the few discussions I've managed to have, have had with people who are staunch atheists. After I explained to them a bunch of stuff, of course, first, so they even understand what I'm talking about. And they usually sit there with their mouths open and unable to talk. <laughs> Honestly, like they're in frozen animation. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> yeah, because it's the truth, and it suddenly dawns on me that that kind of makes sense. <sighs> yeah. All right, so... Uh, I just looked at, oh boy, I can't believe this. Uh, We're out of time. I don't know where I went to, but (laughs) it zipped by. I covered most of what I wanted to cover tonight. I'll very quickly, I never allowed the time to do this for tonight's show, and sum it up. Basically, if we really look at this issue, uh, we need faith-based religion, and we're going to need them for hundreds, if not thousands of years from now. It's because the rest of the world, most of the rest of the world, is is still relying upon faith over a lot of reasoning and thinking uh, to understand God. It's not because they're bad or anything. It's because they're just a little weaker than they need to be to understand God in other ways. And so that's fine. So it's very important that we keep those religions going, but not in the way they have been, because they have been destructive in the past, and they're getting more so because of their inflexibility from becoming so past-based. And so, ultimately, we're hoping, I'm hoping, that the, the changes can take place from the inside out, if possible, and without losing people, and without people giving up on God altogether. And the object is to find ways to make this happen that are uh, constructive and that will help. Ageless Wisdom is a really good source of doing that and has been over the ages. And we find that basically the problem is is a basic problem with humanity. Humanity is the first kind of life that has all these questions and all this all this conflict about God because it has its own awareness internally that God exists. And so it's constantly questioning and trying to figure out what God is. If it didn't have that, it wouldn't be doing it. And so that's really a big lesson for tonight's show, is to realize that this this is a, a self-generating situation, and it's going to stay with us. We can't just ignore it. And it's been terrible in all the times in history we can imagine because people have killed so many people and tortured others and done terrible things in the name of what they believe to be their faith-based religion. We can make it better. We don't have to wallow in this terrible world the way it
the things I said in tonight's show, which I don't have time to go back over. But the thing is that there's a huge amount, and so you can listen to tonight's show, a huge amount of information in it that you can ponder and maybe come up with some even further things to be done. I gave a lot of stuff out. And that stuff might make a difference if it was applied properly. Let's all get together and think about this and maybe do something. I mean, this is the weekend for it, right? It's Easter weekend and all that business. A lot of people, are not all people, but a lot of people in the world celebrate this time of year. It's a good time to think about what it is that we're doing in our religious life and how we can be of assistance to others. And also, finally, the atheists in the world. We shouldn't give up on them either because they are faith-based. They just aren't religious. And so there's these, there's a completely, we'll call it, uh, commonality to humanity that we all are very concerned about God. We all are seeking a relationship one way or another with God, even when we say God doesn't exist. Well, we're out of time for right now, and I hope this show has made a difference because I know it has for me. I just to teach it. It's wonderful for me because it, it reminds me of all the different things that can be done and that hopefully will be done in the near future. Well, uh, I hope you have a chance to re-listen again because you can maybe take notes and write some of this stuff down. And until next week, this has been Niles McFlower for Why Life Is.